I just wanted to welcome you to my podcast. You are listening to Life with Maka, where I talk about chronic illness, mental illness, faith, and everything in between. Everything and anything. So welcome if you're listening. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome back to Dee. You guys might remember Dee from the Chronic Illness Misconceptions episode that I did. Dee joined me along with Melanie um, a couple of weeks ago, and Dee and I were going to do a full episode together to chat more in depth about Dee's story. So welcome back, Dee. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me again. That's okay. Thank you so much for joining me, and thank you for listening to me ramble before this episode started um because yeah I think we've discovered that we can just talk to each other forever yes absolutely and um I think that uh we'll be having a lot more conversations after this podcast (laughs) I think so too so if you were listening and you know you'd like to make new friends for example being me um (laughs) and you love chatting then feel free to send me a message and let me know that you want to join because I am very happy to listen to people and their stories and just have a chat about life in general. So introduce yourself, some facts about you, what chronic illnesses you have, just so we can get to know you. Yes. So um, my name is Dee. Um, I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm 23. Um an interesting, like, non-chronic like, illness-related fact about me is that I really like, um, like, vintage stuff, um, like a lot of, like, 40s and 50s, like, fashion and, like, cookbooks and random things like that. Um, and chronic illnesses. Um, so I have a condition called Alhurst Downloss Syndrome, um, also known as EDS, um, and I have the hypermobile type. Um, and then I have a bunch of chronic illnesses that fall under um, that Alvis-Danlos um, um, umbrella, I guess. Um, yeah, everything that I kind of struggle with is because of EDS. Nice. Well, um, you say you're 23. That's how old I am. Um, where Are you 24 this year? 24 next year. Okay, so you're a 99 baby. I am. I am 24 this year um sorry I have brain fog for those listening I just worked all day and I have come home and am off with the fairies I'm off with the fairies that the kindergartners were with today (laughs) uh Ehlers-Denlis syndrome um what is the symptoms and tell us your story about with your experience so um, Ehlers Danlos syndrome, um, the hypermobile type, is like a connective tissue disorder. Um, so with um, um, hypermobile um, EDS, it basically, I, I think, like my general understanding is that it's kind of experienced like differently by everyone. Some people have a lot of the same symptoms. Other people have like quite different symptoms. Um but all in all, it's kind of having like defective collagen in your body, um, which kind of sucks because collagen is really important in kind of 
Um, it's like what it's like a really important part of your tissue. Um, and so because the collagen in my body is like kind of defective, it's not like as strong and it's not as stable. And so my joints aren't as strong and stable and um, I'm a, like a lot more prone to like injuries and um, like a bunch of like, yeah, I guess like comorbid kind of like chronic illnesses. Um, and so because of um, like having Alice down loss um, and it takes a really long time to like often get an Alice down loss um, diagnosis. Um, the average I'm pretty sure is like 10 to 15 years, which is like so crazy that like people have to like kind of struggle for so long before getting like a formal diagnosis. Um, but I know like a lot of people go like a lot longer. Some people go like 40 years without having a diagnosis or their entire lives. Um, but in like the main symptoms I struggle with um, from having EDS are like chronic pain and chronic fatigue and, um, like a lot of like joint like dislocations and like joints like subluxing um I have a lot of like GI issues that are caused from um having EDS like a like really slow um like motility throughout like my whole gut um up until like December last year I was um tube fed for two years um and like those symptoms are like constantly ever-changing I'm not like feeding tube reliant um anymore but it's just kind of a constant changing battle kind of thing of yeah managing symptoms and trying to keep my gut functioning um I also have a like a non-functioning bladder so I have something called a suprapubic catheter which is um kind of like a little like small hose that is kind of between like like not like maybe a few inches under your belly button kind of where like the line of your undies sit um maybe that's tmi i don't know sorry if it is um but that's where it is and it's kind of like a hole that has like a tube in it permanently and that's the only way i can empty my bladder and that was actually one of the first um kind of things that we recognized um when I um, was really young, like a baby, uh, my mum noticed that I didn't like really wet my nappies very often. Um, and I basically went my, like, and she took me to the doctors and they said it was fine. Um, it was nothing to worry about. Um, and I basically went my entire life just not having like proper sensation in my bladder um, until I realised that I couldn't really like go to the bathroom at all without having to like super duper force it. Um and sometimes I would go days without going to the bathroom because it was always such a painful, like an uncomfortable experience. Um, and then growing up as a kid, I was like always injured, um, always like really, really struggled with like joint pain um, and injuries um, and was just kind of always excused as being like clumsy or that my pains were like growing pains Um and then all like those gastro symptoms were just like dismissed as being like an intolerance or um, maybe I like, you know, had to um, it, like do like an elimination diet and then reintroduce things. Um, and it was just this like never ending thing of like never being able to figure out like exactly what was wrong um, until I got the um, EDS diagnosis um, or we started questioning the EDS um, 
kind of idea, it was the first time I'd ever heard something that actually made my symptoms make sense. And the first time I kind of felt like I'd ever fallen into a category. Um, And it was a really weird experience because it was mentioned to me by um, like other specialists um, and another really common thing with like EDS is um, having like a really difficult time like regulating your like autonomic nervous system Um, and so there would be like I'd have really weird episodes of like tachycardia and heat intolerance and like syncope and all these like things where I would have like tests and a lot of the time stuff would come back um, as like normal like if I had a blood test it would come back as normal um and that wasn't giving answers to like why I was in pain why I was feeling so sick um so when somebody actually suggested um or had asked if I had um ever heard of like EDS before or if I'd been diagnosed with it um my ears kind of like perked up because it was for the first time someone was someone actually had an idea of what could have actually been going on and um it took a really, really long time to be able to get that diagnosis, um, especially because as an adolescent, I really struggled with my mental health, which um, having like the undiagnosed ADS um, definitely contributed to that because I um, basically felt like something was wrong, knew something was wrong, um, but kind of felt like it must have been all in my head because nothing else was really making sense, which was kind of just one aspect to it. Um, but yeah, getting an EDS diagnosis was, um, really difficult. I went to quite a few doctors and what I often got told was that, um, they didn't believe in EDS and that's why they wouldn't diagnose it, which was such a strange concept to me because like it's a medical condition. It's not really something you can like choose to believe in or not. It just blew my mind. Um, when I would hear doctors say that like, oh, I don't believe in it, or yeah, like you probably have it, but I don't like writing it down as a formal diagnosis because I think it's like too complicated, which was actually really um, like hindering like in my journey because it was really difficult to get some like proper medical care without having a formal diagnosis because some specialists only take you seriously when you have that diagnosis on paper, which is really frustrating. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that part of your story and how it affects you because and I think um yeah people that are listening like it's also important to know that how it affects one person it might not affect the next person but a lot of symptoms could be very similar and um I know a few people in my life that have EDS um and even somebody that was just recently diagnosed um And yeah, like you said, it can just take a long time to be diagnosed. And I think it's hard because like if doctors aren't, you know, willing to recognize it, but it is such a, it's such a condition that can be physically seen. Like if you have like of joints, like, is it like that should be a concern? Well, exactly. And I think this is like what's really frustrating because a lot of people will get a diagnosis of something like hypermobility spectrum disorder because that's a diagnosis that some rheumatologists are more comfortable like um, giving. And it's not that that's like not valid. It still very much falls under like the whole like EDS kind of umbrella really. And most of the time with that diagnosis, you'll get treated um, 
the same as if you were to have like an EDS diagnosis but often at times that's because people like they might be missing out by like one or two points on the criteria because the criteria for EDS is like really specific but when it looks at things like joint hypermobility it doesn't look at all the joints in the body it looks at like elbows and knees and wrists um and that's like not a a, like a great indicator of like hypermobility throughout the entire body yeah um so I think it's definitely a barrier in people like being able to access like um a diagnosis and because everybody's symptoms are so like different and um it like people experience EDS like differently um that probably adds to the complexity as well because sometimes doctors don't have a lot of experience working with patients with EDS and so they think that it only looks one way yeah or even like a lot of doctors in smaller towns like where I live like you probably like wouldn't you'd struggle to find a doctor that would actually know what it was even like um I mean I know this isn't EDS but it just made me think of um this time that I I had a um virus called pityriasis rosea I don't know if you've ever heard of it but um I went to probably like three doctors wondering what it was I was misdiagnosed with like that it was chicken pox and I'm like dude I've already had chicken pox like it can't be chicken pox and he was like here take some steroids and I was like okay because like you know like I feel like I was pretty naive then and was like my best um anyway and like it was still happening and I was like I just didn't know like and no doctor knew what it was and then I finally was like I'm going to like another practice and um the second that I walked in and showed him my skin, because it's like a skin condition mm-hmm. virus, he was like, oh, this is what you have. But like all those other doctors had never seen it before. And so there was actually some like medical students that were at the like sur- like doctor's surgery that I went to. And he was like, would you mind if I showed them it? And I was like, nope, that's perfectly fine because I want them to what it looks like so that way the next person like that they see when they're a doctor they can be like yep I've seen that before I know that this is that absolutely and it's like really that thing that like having that knowledge and that experience is like so like vital and a lot of with like a lot of things that aren't like as commonly known like you were saying like in small towns where there's less exposure like people get like misdiagnosed or brushed off and just because they like a doctor or a specialist might not know the name of it or what it actually is it doesn't mean that it's nothing it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist exactly or like and yeah like you said too like a lot of doctors and stuff won't like or just like a lot of people just won't believe you unless it's written down on paper either it's like you've got to fight to like get a diagnosis because like a lot of treatment and a lot of just like actually being able to live an okay life depends on you having a diagnosis like again not relevant to EDS but for me personally getting a diagnosis was really big for my mental health for and even for like a lot of my friendship like a lot of my friends weren't quite on board with the idea that I had chronic fatigue because or chronic myalgic encephalitis I should say um because 
I didn't have a formal diagnosis from a doctor. Like, you know, like it's not so, like people won't accept that you have something without there being like evidence, I guess. Yeah, which is really difficult because like, and I personally found that really frustrating in my experience because I don't think sometimes people who um, who don't have chronic illnesses don't realise like the huge amount of privilege that comes with being able to have a diagnosis on paper. Like you have to, like there has to be like access. You have to like be able to financially afford to like see a doctor that will like give you a diagnosis on paper. Like there's so much that goes into it. It's really like not an easy thing to obtain. No. And, like, yeah, I think a diagnosis, it doesn't heal you, but it gives you a bit more peace um, in other areas. Absolutely. I felt like I was um, a lot more confident in advocating for myself um, after having my formal diagnosis because I didn't feel like I could be told that I was wrong. Yeah. After that, or I, I was like, well, no, this is definitely like, um, what is, and it was just kind of empowering because, like, it wasn't in my head. Yeah. And you couldn't have your symptoms denied. Like, that was actually a reality that you were facing. Exactly. This wasn't like my word against theirs anymore. Or like, you know, oh, like, are you sure you're not just anxious or like something like that, which always really annoys me because like mental health is like super important. And what's this whole idea of like, are you sure it's not just anxiety? Like what's just anxiety? Like anxiety is a valid diagnosis and like experience on its own. And like it affects you in so many ways. Like, I like I know we're going on so many different tangents here but um I experienced like I would say I've had just like general anxiety um for quite a while but uh last year just probably about 13 14 months ago I actually ended up with severe anxiety to the point where I was having severe chest pain I was so anxious to go to sleep that I would like refuse to fall asleep I had to have a friend come over and watch me sleep during the day because I wasn't sleeping at night because I was just terrified to fall asleep because like every time I'd go to fall asleep my chest would just feel like like my heart would just feel like it would stop and then I like I couldn't swallow I couldn't breathe I was having palpitations I was shaking like anxiety was bad like it wasn't just anxiety like it was like exactly paralyzing like it was ruining my life in so many ways and it was I I honestly don't know how I got through that time of my life because I struggled so much and everybody around me was like it's just anxiety it's just anxiety there's nothing wrong and I'm like but even if it is anxiety suffering like I actually it was was yeah Uh, so yeah I think um even yeah having anxiety and like a lot of us have anxiety because of our chronic illnesses and because we're not believed and because we feel like we have to stand up for ourselves but that's something that's really really hard to do yeah exactly and like yes my body like pretty much is constantly living in like fight or flight mode because I have chronic pain and so like my body is like on edge constantly because it doesn't know life without like being in pain like there are so many things that like come into it and brushing it off like as like just anxiety is really dismissive because like we said like 
anxiety is really valid and like is a huge thing like on its own but it also continues to silo mental health and physical health which is a huge problem within our healthcare system because everything's always like it's either a mental health problem or a physical health problem and there seems to be this misconception that both like can't coexist yeah, I agree. And, and I mean, you can only get treatment for one at like once because like for some reason within like the healthcare world, like it's like really difficult to have be receiving like really good physical healthcare and mental healthcare because one's always dismissed for the other. Yeah, I agree. And like it's, I think it's so often too brushed off that like people don't see that having a chronic illness does actually make you more susceptible to having a mental illness as well yeah yeah absolutely um on that note let's tie that into like mental health and therapy mental health treatment and how that ties in with your job I mean I don't think you mentioned your job at the beginning but could you just tell us a little bit about it and how it kind of ties in with mental health Absolutely. So um, I work as a um, lived experience um, like advocate, um, I guess, um, or like consultant or um, peer worker. I guess it kind of falls under all three categories. Um, So I use my lived experience as a person with a disability, chronic illness and a lived experience of mental ill health. in a lot of different ways so um I do like some work where I like um speak like I've spoken on like panels about like my experiences and like the like um kind of barriers that I've faced trying to access like healthcare or mental health care or both um and I kind of use my lived experience of mental Ill health a lot in um a lot of the like more consulting work that um I do so I spent um a chunk of my adolescence um receiving really intense um mental health care and treatment and um from I struggled with my mental health a lot from like around like age 12 um like starting from about age 12 so and um by age 15 um I was quite unwell and was um having really really dark thoughts and struggling with a lot of like mood problems and anxiety and um I ended up like going and getting help from um what is like known as headspace um and then after a while things actually like continued to get worse and so I needed more like um tertiary mental health care and I ended up actually spending um majority of my adolescence um, in inpatient psychiatric care, which was quite intense. Um, so over a few years, I had close to or roughly about 100 inpatient psychiatric admissions. Um, and that took away like a lot of my access to like schooling. And um, this was kind of one of those barriers again, where no one would ever take my physical health seriously because everything was because of my mental health, even though it was like people dismissing my physical health problems and symptoms and the way my physical health was impacting my life. It's like contributed a lot to those mental health things that I was struggling with. Um, so yeah, now, like a few years later, um, I use my experience that I had receiving outpatient care 
inpatient care, just basically like a lot of what I experienced with public mental health treatment. Um, and I kind of try to make things a bit better. So I work with um, some like different mental health organisations about um, how to include like lived experience and young people more and what things we could change to make it better. Um, yeah, I hope that kind of makes sense about what I do. It does. And I think having people in professions that like that, like it's so important to have people that have that lived experience because like I'm sure like there's like, I mean, I think um, I think it's been talked about in a few episodes, like how a lot of like mental health professionals like there's counsellors out there that haven't experienced depression and anxiety themselves. Like they don't have that awareness. They don't have that like knowledge on how to incorporate or like understand that um, for their patients. So I think like it's so important to have people that have lived experiences influencing and um, creating awareness around mental health and all of that. Absolutely. And I think it's like, it really goes back to that whole, like nothing about us without us. Like there shouldn't be guidelines and systems made up without asking people who use them and have used them and have had experiences in them first, because like they're the people who know what works and what doesn't work. And, um, you know it's really easy when you come from a like very able-bodied like very mentally healthy person to to look at something and be like oh yeah like that's fine like that's good enough but when you've encountered the barriers that you have as a chronically ill disabled person or um a person who's struggled with their mental health like the like there are barriers that can only be seen when you've had those experiences it's like wearing a pair of glasses that like open your eyes to like all these different barriers and all of these hardships that a lot of um, healthy, able-bodied people don't see because they don't have to. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, like you said, a lot of them don't have to see it so they don't bother trying to see it. Um, but I guess, yeah, you creating awareness around it, a really helpful thing to do. Yeah, and I think it's um, really, um, I think lived experience is becoming more and more valued um, as time goes on. Um, And it's really, like, great to see because I think um, whilst there are so many things that, like, can be learned in life, lived experience, you can only really learn through going through something. Um, And because of that, there's no substitute for it because it can't be taught, it can't be, um, like, mimicked or anything like it's it has to have happened for you to be able to use it and there's something kind of empowering um about being able to use things that might not have been um always positive or um nice experiences and being able to kind of use that energy or those experiences um to try to make something better and know that maybe because you had that negative experience it might be the reason that hundreds of other people don't have to have the same one yeah yeah I like that like perspective on it um not something that I've probably ever really thought about but you do it all the time through like your Instagram and through your podcast that's very true yeah I guess I probably more subconsciously do a lot of things than I do consciously um which is good and bad at the same time (laughs) um 
we might wrap it up there so that way any listeners that are listening like it's a short episode instead of my last 40 minute one um but thank you so much for joining me again Dee I have loved chatting with you and I've loved hearing your story and your experience and I think um I'm going to actually send this episode to somebody in my life that has just recently been diagnosed with EDS because I just think having someone else's or yeah like listening to somebody else's experience like that's for me a lot of the time is the best way to know that like I'm not alone like when I've been going through things especially mentally like to hear people say I have those thoughts too or I completely understand because I've gone through that as well like that's invaluable like it is just so comforting and to like know that you're not alone so thank you so much for sharing your story and helping those that do have EDS not feel alone in their journey or their new diagnosis or their diagnosis to come thank you so much for having me and giving me space to share my story um it's been lovely chatting with you this afternoon and thank you to all of those um who listened and I'd love to connect with anyone. Um, you can find me over on Instagram. My handle is at D, so D double E dot Zoe, Z O E. Thank you so much. And I'll pop your handle in the caption again. And um, yeah, thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you for listening to Life with Mecca. I really appreciate being able to connect with people this way. So thank you for tuning in and I hope that you'll tune in with the next episode.